Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Mr. Matthew Abram joins us today. Um, many of you have probably heard that name if you're especially on social media, kind of cruising it, uh, looking for different things, especially in the, in the hip hinge deadlift kind of community. Um, he's the co-owner and lead performance coach at TD Athletes Edge in Boston and the co-founder of Hip Hinge 101 Workshop. Uh, when I first came across uh, Matthew's information, the thing that I really liked is that he stresses his ultimate goal is to provide simple information that is digestible to the masses. And anybody who's listened to the podcast long-term knows that I'm a big fan of, of just getting quality information out because that's what we're, that's what we're here to do, right? That's the whole point of the podcast. That's the whole point of people blogging is getting good quality information out because we can't die with it, right? Like we got to leave something for the people coming, coming up behind us. That's why people before us did. So uh, Matthew, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate it. Eric, thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out here. Oh, no problem. So I know you have kind of like a little unorthodox uh, background coming up in the, in the strength conditioning field. Can you know, tell us a little bit about that and kind of go from there? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like everyone else, undergraduate degree, exercise science, kinesiology, yep. ex-phys, I mean, pretty similar to everyone else. But um, I was a bit of a bonehead, messed around for in undergrad for six years. Didn't know what I wanted to do, wasn't really academically driven, didn't really have the fire, but I loved picking up men's health and men's fitness magazines and being a meathead and bicep curl my face off. Um, so after kind of about a few, few years into undergrad, I realized that, wow, like, you know, we have an exercise science program where I went, like, you know, I figured it out finally, um, took some classes. I did, oh, I did pretty well in the general classes. I did, I did awful in the science classes. Again, I wasn't really driven, but I started, to, I started to enjoy a lot of the exercise, the backgrounds, you know, doing the movement, stuff like that. But I wasn't really attracted or involved as much academic in the sciences, which I should have been, which I should have kind of given more effort. I wasn't as driven. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure many people yeah. can relate. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, so definitely. after failing a handful of classes and by failing, I just want to make sure I, I make, make the point here, failing like, you know, see or worse but either way failing um i ended up getting put on academic probation i had too many quote-unquote failed classes and specifically the the anatomies the x-phys the kinesis and i wasn't really trying as hard so i kind of got my i shaped up got back together um i i was lucky enough to through uh, a connection got an internship at mike boyles in woburn uh strength Heard of him. facility Heard of him yeah, I, I really, uh, I, I had a great time doing the internship there. I met a, gr a ton of great people, got my, my ass handed to me, so to speak. I was, I was pretty much a, a blank white canvas, like a green, like a very inexperienced strength coach. But I think it was a great experience because it knocked me on my ass. And, and, it, and I think we learn through failures. I think we learn through mistakes. And we, yeah. we understand kind of what not to do and how to, how to adjust and pivot and, and make positive changes. So I look back on that now and, and think that that was a blessing in disguise. Um, yeah. after that I realized, you know, I'd kind of, 
<clears throat> shaped up academically, turned it around and decided, okay, let me go to doctor of PT school. Um, wish it were that easy, but it's not. So from, for a three-year period, you know, I graduated. I was doing personal training in my garage, taking some clients. I was, you know, I was working as a physical therapy rehab aide in a sports, sports rehab outpatient setting, you know, working with athletes, you know, senior citizens, um, gen pop, whatever, um, kind of as a rehab aide. And the way I look at it now, I mean, essentially, like I was a glorified exercise strength coach, sorry, a glorified rehab strength coach. I mean, the PT would let me sit on, on the evaluations. I would, you know, I'd look at the script, they'd give me the exercise to do, and they'd let me kind of be creative and add some stuff based on, you know, they were in charge, you know, they were the quarterback, but I would kind of add stuff based on if they would say mm-hmm. yes or no. And I would be essentially training clients in a rehab setting. So it worked out pretty well for about three to four years. I was also simultaneously taking um, DPT school prere- prerequisite night courses at, at a local community college. I was applying, denied, applying, denied. Um, I was training clients, working at sports performance training settings, similar to boils and stuff like that. And so I, what I realized, you know, although I didn't get in for three years in order to DPT schools, I built up a very unique kind of background, not to say that I'm better or worse than anyone else. It's more or less you know, I was a strength conditioning coach, but I had this kind of sports rehab lens. And I was like, okay, like, how do I justify that? How do I put that on paper and explain that to someone? So it's always been very challenging for me to kind of explain that without actually <laughs> explaining it. Like, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So in, people know you're a strength coach because of your letters, but then, then you kind of teach them more. But for me, it's always been, I think once I can communicate and in person talk to someone, I yeah. think they can say, okay, this person understands the rehab sports rehab lens the movement lens and then marries that and intertwines that with proper loading and dosage and exercise prescription and strength conditioning training and performance training and that's kind of my my outlet so um after three years of not getting in um i worked you know i've been working as a strength coach or whatnot but still work still worked at a pt setting and then i ended up getting my one-year license in massage therapy degree I got that thinking that I would <clears throat> utilize that manual therapy skill from a, a sports performance, kind of get you back to your function and your performance and your activity and your training as soon as possible type mm-hmm. of tool. And it was working for a while. I was doing that part-time and being a strength coach part-time. But what I was becoming, what I was realizing was that, look, I think, I think we, at the end of the day, have to know what our strengths are and know what our weaknesses are. And I think, I think my, the thing that, I'm best at or better than other things at is my ability to coach and communicate and educate. And it's my strength as an LMT is probably not the best. And so I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't the best thing for me. And maybe there's probably people out there who are way better manual therapists and PTs and, you know, soft tissue specialists than I am. Let them do the job. Let them, they're better at, let them do that. And I'll just be a strength right. coach. Cause I think that I can empower more people and I can reach more people that way. You know, I look at it like, do you want to help 10 people or 10,000 or 10 million? So my goal is, is, is a global approach. And, and, you know, I started that in my mind 10 years ago and slowly, but surely we're kind of getting to that point now where, where, uh, where we've just booked a workshop for the hip hinge one-on-one workshop in Italy. So it was slowly, but surely getting to that, that global approach. So, um, yep. I realized that coaching is my passion. That's my fire. That's kind of the way I can, I can reach people the most. And like you had alluded to earlier, whether it's on social media platforms, whether it's in person or speaking or traveling or whatever, mm-hmm. right. it's reaching more people and, 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 providing digestible, simple fitness and performance and, and strength conditioning training information to the masses is kind of my, kind of the, the, the crux of what, what I do and my passion. And so um, where, I'm, where I'm at now, so 
Um, I was at Boston Physical Therapy and Wellness. That's in Medford, Mass. I was there for a few years as the strength coach there, doing all the initial assessment, training the clients, semi-private training. Um, I was working as an LMT as well, but um, I've, I've left there, but on very good terms. Those are, uh, we're still very close and uh, we have some future plans um, with them as well. But um, in the interim, so Zach Gabor is the guy I run the workshop with. So we co-found, we, we kind of co came up with and, and, and run and, and provide the hip hinge one-on-one workshop, which is accredited through two governing bodies, the NSCA yeah. national strength conditioning association, as well as the national Academy of sports medicine. So NASM. So um, we obtained CEUs to those. So technically we're CEU providers to those guys and which is great because when people want to go to workshops and, you know, professionals and fitness pros and strength coaches and trainers, you know, it's nice if we can provide CEUs cause they need it anyways. It's kind of a nice additional bonus. So, um, and we enjoy doing that. So that's kind of where I've been and kind of my last right. stop. Um, right now I, uh, co-owner of TD athletes edge over here in Salem mass, which is about, which is about, 20 to 30 minutes north of Boston. Um, and uh, we're loving it. We, uh, you know, we found the place a few months back and we're rolling, man. We're having fun. We're helping people. We're, we're educating, training, teaching, and guiding. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool to be, to be a small piece in, a, in, a, in something bigger than yourself. And so yeah. I'm, I'm big on community and culture and, and kind of that family approach. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, I, I feel as, as if we're, we're starting to create that as a team. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're big on team, looking at, looking at ourselves as not individuals, but a performance team. And so uh, I'm, I'm in a good place, man. It's, uh, couldn't be happier. Well, let's, so let's cycle back because there's a lot. There's a, <clears throat> oh, there's a lot that I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to put this like, so let's cycle back to something interesting yep. that you said about like your education aspect of it because, um, you know, there – there's a lot there. There's like, I, I find like in the strength and conditioning, the trainer world, there, there's two or the, the PT it's, it's a broad scope. Right. Yep. So when we're sitting in like a kines class or something, cause I, we have similar backgrounds, exercise science, kinesiology background, masters, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I, I was so big for so long on, you know, trainers having an education, like yep. gotta have education, gotta have education. One thing I think, uh, that is missing out of education. Number one is more guidance into the field that you and I are in, you know, either working with athletes or working with the general public. Um, Cause going through a kinesiology class, I think is extremely important. That's nothing that you can't pick up on the outside yep. if you don't go to school. Right. Yep. I mean, I, I would, and I've told people that um, in terms of things that, I, that we train that I'd rather have them have, you know, one year of under an unbelievable coach or a trainer and know how to talk to people and know how to work that aspect of it than five years of, uh, of worth of degrees and certifications, you know, and then not know how to use any of that on the outside because we don't get, we don't get taught that. um, Okay. Here's, here's where uh, these muscle groups are. Here's how to perfect, here's how to actually work them. And then, you know, it's just like, okay, know them and move on. Right. We don't, we don't get anything after that. So for you to like, go through your entire process and then come out on the other end, you know, end up where you are now. Did it backwards, like that's, man. <laughs> yeah. And that's, but that's good though. I think yeah. a lot of people, they, they, they think that, man, it's such, it's such a um, necessity. And I still think education is important. I'm not trying to say that, but I think yeah. there's different ways everybody goes about it. Well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's important. Like, you know, like I say, like they, they don't sell people skills at Walmart on sale. It's not on sale at Walmart. It's like definitely people not Walmart, skills, no. intrapersonal, interpersonal, social, being communicable, like being able to like 
be relatable, just having someone enjoy your company. I think that is, that is a, a skill. That is, that is a skill that you have to learn. And yeah. I think, you know, I've been very lucky that I've been, I've been in multiple settings where I've been working, you know, I, I worked at, you know, youth camps in the summer years ago. So, you know, youth kids, high school, college, gen pop, middle-aged people, adults, you know, citizens. I've, I've had a, I've been fortunate to have a wide array of exposure in multiple settings and venues and, and atmospheres so that it's kind of forced me to learn people, if that makes sense. And, yeah. you know, how can I yeah, reach yeah. this individual? How can I understand them? How can I get them from where they are to where they want to be in the most, the safest, most effective format, kind of back to that minimum effective dosage for the maximum effective outcome principle. Like they want to get here and they're being, they're frustrated because they've tried X, Y, and Z and it doesn't work. So how can yeah. I come in and kind of reframe their, their thinking? Okay. Fitness to me has currently been this and I'm frustrated. Okay, no problem. Here are some ways that we can try that might be more beneficial. And here's what, how we can get you there. And then, and then building mm -hmm. buy-in trust and, yeah. and, and having them trust you with the process and, and believe in it. So that's, that's been something that I've been very fortunate enough to have, have luck in and, and, and people have seemed to kind of buy in with it. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a very helpful tool. Um, so in addition to the other, like at my, my whole kind of academic career and whatnot, where I've been and kind of the whole waves and whatnot, I've always wanted to do some sort of graduate degree just because I just want to stay stimulated and, and academically and, and keep my mind moving. So I just um, got into a master of science program. It's all online. It's, it's a sport performance degree um, through Rocky Mountain University. That started back in, uh, at, back in May. So I'm doing that part-time, nice taking a couple classes a semester just to keep my mind fresh. But who knows? Maybe there's a doctorate at some point down the line. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's not – I could care less for the letters. It's more of if I can take some information, some, some golden nuggets, yep. if you will, and apply them <laughs> – yeah and help someone become a better version of themselves, then I'm going to do that. Exactly. And I think that, you know, to that point, if, if we as professionals could actually take the information, if there was something in school that we could take that information and then uh, have the school teach professionals how to relay that at an earlier stage, yeah. I think we'd like be better off as professionals out of the gate. Like I, I didn't know that I wanted to be a personal trainer, like right out of school. Yep. You know, that, that, that's not my point. But like, as I started to get closer to graduation, I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to do this. But, and I, but I, I knew the material, I knew this stuff would be due. I could talk to people, but then you find yourself like, okay, how do I relay this information to the general public and how, you know, so they can understand it. And I don't sound like a tool just trying to like sound smart. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's the big thing. Like I think us as professional, I, I think if we look at communication in two different buckets, like the first bucket is, you know, how you communicate you know, with other professionals in the field, obviously we use certain vernacular and language and great, go do it. It's shorthand, mm -hmm. make it easy. No problem. But well, I think when we communicate, not only communicate in person, but online and, and through our, our content and our blogs and, and whatnot is like making the information so digestible that they can understand it. I think right. sometimes in our profession, we, we we're afraid of not sounding smart. God forbid you don't know the answer to a question and you want to punt the ball to someone who's smarter than you. Right. Right. And right, so, right. and so for me, it's always been like, if I don't know, I, I can refer to someone smarter than me in that area. Yeah. And, and I can go find out. Exactly. And I think, yep. so that's something I think we should, I think it'd be good if we looked at it. And there's so many people doing a great job of that in, in the industry that I could easily rattle off right now from a content online standpoint, they're doing a phenomenal job of providing simple, digestible information to the masses from fitness and performance and rehab standpoint. And then the other thing I want to touch on that you kind of alluded to was, I think there's a giant lack both 
uh, undergraduate as well as graduate level, whether it's exercise science, kinesiology, strength conditioning, physical therapy, athletic training, chiropractic, whatever, healthcare and fitness as a whole, we're lacking that hands-on approach that I think we're all great at being generalists. I think it, it becomes a challenge once you finish academia to say, okay, how can I really become better in this, in, in this one area or, or in these few areas? Mm, so right. that's kind of the root of why Zach and I began our hip hinge one-on-one workshop. So to kind of piggyback off that thought is, that, you know, we, I pretty much cajoled or forced Zach to my previous boss to hire Zach. And um, by no means am I saying he's not qualified. He is an absolute stud by all, all meanings of the word, all mean of the word, but so he got hired there. We started working together. And so he would treat a patient. They'd be done with low back pain or low back, you know, injury or whatever. And then I trained them and we would communicate as a team and, and get them going. We'd be like, you know what? We're seeing a lot of low back clients. Like it's pretty obvious, you know, there's so many stats to back that up. But, and so we were like, you know what? Like we're getting, we have this common headache. where like, you tell someone to squat, ah, something, something okay happened. Tell someone to hip hinge or deadlift. Like they don't know what the heck they're doing. And right. so we're like, maybe this is something here, right? And don't get me wrong, like we've thought several times, well, you know, we could teach a whole day workshop on the traditional, the, you know, the bench, the, de- the deadlift and the squat. And those are fantastic workshops and seminars and conferences. But if we can really get, get a lens and dig pretty deep on one specific topic, maybe we can unveil some stuff that some professional mm-hmm. has not been taught. And like you said, we're not reinventing the wheel here. All we're doing is taking a very simple, digestible, systematic approach to yep. point A to point B train the deadlift properly to meet the individual in front of you, whether they're a power lifter, whether they're a 12 year old youth client, whether there's a 35 year old mom, like whomever yeah. teach them the hip hinge from square one and build that stuff up beautifully so that they can hip hinge properly, whether it's deadlifting, whether it's, you know, picking up laundry out of, out of the laundry basket, picking exactly. up the kids, whatever, a hip hinge for performance, athletic performance, for life, for activity, for fitness, whatever. So we started, uh, we kind of put our heads together and put, we put, we put a four hour workshop together the content. We thought it, we thought it was the shit. And, uh, we did a <laughs> workshop. We, we got 20 people like, okay, like maybe this isn't as bad as we thought. And, uh, we did a few of those for the four hour half day ones. And the, the feedback was, okay, can you make this a longer workshop? We want to start deadlifting because we were just teaching principles and, you know, core stability, trunk stability, breathing, bracing, spinal stiffness, hip hinge, progressions, regressions, exercise, all that stuff. And, and we, were, we realized we were missing a couple things. Uh, communication and kind of that performance language piece. Like if you're a rehab pro and a strength conditioning pro, how to communicate amongst yes. each other as a team right. Right. to get the best results for the client from, from the utilization from if they're dealing with low back pain or injury or if they're trying to deadlift better or stronger and utilize hip hinge as one of the tools in their training patterns, in their training kind of toolbox. And so when we added, we made it a full day, we got the NSCA accreditation, the NASM accreditation, and then we added the actual one hour of hands-on like physical deadlifting and utilizing the, app, the, app, the applicable tools we taught that day and break it up into groups and having breakouts. And so we found that people, people enjoy that. And so we added that as well as the language piece and kind of, you know, certain terms where, you know, if I'm talking to you, Eric, hey, like Eric, like we're both professionals. I know you're, I know you got some low back pain, no problem, right? And, and utilizing words in such a way that understanding that words are powerful. So you and I probably know, okay, if you're, de- God forbid, you're dealing with some low back pain, no problem. I mean, pretty much the majority of people have, have dealt with low back pain at one point or another in their, in their lifespan. We're going to utilize the word pain. However, 
if there's a client who's currently in that pain cycle, that vicious pain cycle, and if you utilize fear-mongering tactics or terms that have a negative connotation or that kind of drown them further into that cascade of like, I'm in pain and they kind of believe in it, that whole psychological effect. And by no means are we psychologists. We're not saying that, but can we prescribe medicine? Yes. And can we help people move better and feel better? Yes. And so that's kind of our lens we speak through. And so sometimes certain words like weak or pain, if we use them, this is all within context. If we use them in, 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 in the improper context, it may have a negative effect on the individual where we're laying the message to. So we, we try to have a conversation with the audience saying, okay, guys, what are some better terms we can pick here given, given a specific case load? So for example, if it's a client who's dealt with a few years of low back pain, they're coming off of that and they're super hesitant and they're timid and they're apprehensive to deadlift, I'm probably not going to say, oh, that's painful, right? I'll probably say like, how does that feel? Does that bother you? Like you give me information, describe to me how it's feeling versus me saying, is there numbness, tingling, pain? Are you hurt? Are you you hurt? Right. We try to let them as the client, the athlete, the human being we're working with paint the picture and they can talk it through and work it through because some of that needs to be worked through. The other thing is like, you know, oh, I'm weak. Well, we prefer the terms not stronger, not as strong yet, or or that way it leaves availability and an openness there's an open door that now I, I, I'm going to get yeah. there. I'm not yet there. So th- that's kind of the, those are the pieces we've added and people seem to like that. And so that's kind of the hands-on information that I, I, think, I don't think that schools teach you, but again, no. yeah. we're talking about one topic. So it, it is a small amount, but that's kind of been our hip hinge one-on-one workshop in a nutshell. We've done about 10, 12 of them. Um, we were fortunate enough to, uh, we did one in California recently and we kind of back to back that with uh, one at Stanford University and then one at Google headquarters with the extra performance specialists. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get those opportunities. Um, for the spring, we have Italy, Milan, Milan, Italy in April. We have um, Maryland in April. We have California in May, another Cali trip in, uh, in August, not, not realizing how large California is until I had actually did the geography on it. And then we have uh, upstate New York in, uh, in November. So we look forward to those. We like those because... Awesome. It allows us to teach, to educate, and kind of just, you know, people like it because by trade, Zach is a doctor of physical therapy. He also is a strength and conditioning coach and has those credentials, but he operates under the lens of sports rehab as a clinician and utilizes strength training and strength and conditioning principles to enhance what he does as a clinician. And I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm a strength and condition, conditioning coach by trade, but I use my license in massage therapy. The thought process is there, the intent as well as my sports rehab background, working as a, a physical therapy rehab aide for the past seven years to enhance myself as a coach and what I can provide from a results and training standpoint. It's really interesting what you said about, um, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit too, and I'm glad that somebody else is mentioning it, that there's like um, not only a, a gap that we're trying to meet, but I mean, you're in a unique position because you're, you're in both, both areas. But I find you know, if I, if I reach out to uh, a physical therapist, not all of them, but if I tell them that I'm, I'm working with a client um, and I'm a personal trainer, it's almost like you get like a little pushback. Yep. There's a, you know, it's almost like a, instead oh, yeah. of, Hey, cool, let's try to help ourselves for the greater outcome for the greater good for this person that we're working with. It's almost like, uh, okay. And I'm not, and I know there's trainers out here that do this too, yep. but I, I, you you get some pushback in terms of like, oh, you're doing the wrong things. This person shouldn't be doing this. You need to have them do this. And it's like, well, can't we, can we commingle? Can we coexist in the yep. same frame just to help our, our client become better? And I think that's, uh, I think what you said about using the right terminology, even among professionals, 
Yep. You know, because I think we can kind of set ourselves up for um, a certain amount of failure with professionals also where it kind of leads them into, well, this person seems like maybe they're hurting or hindering someone that I'm also working with. So let me tell them how, how to handle the process. Yeah. And I think, and that's, that's a huge point. Something that I have found in my decade in the field that, you know, I think communicating communication is the most important thing, right? Yeah. Effective communication to me is, is so important because as training professionals, as rehab professionals, if we cannot communicate and coexist, like you had just alluded to, how are we going to provide the best results for that person? I think it yeah, has exactly. to be a team. Of, it has to be a team approach. And so I've been very fortunate. I've been very, very fortunate that for the past eight years, I've always been in a facility where there's, there's training professionals as well as rehab professionals, clinicians, yeah, yeah. whether it's Cairo, LMT, PT, whatever. And so we've always been able to utilize all of our skill sets to ultimately provide the best results and outcomes for our clients, patients, athletes, human beings we're, we're working with. So I, I do think that, you know, and I think this goes for every, every profession, whether you're a PT, a trainer, a coach, whomever, there's always kind of those, you know, the, uh, the not so good ones in the bunch, if you will. And then you have yeah. the good ones, right? So there are people who, who are willing to communicate, that are open-minded, they're willing to grow, develop, and, 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 and act as a team. And then there are others who are kind of in their own lane, and it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how they, how they are. And I think the way you got to look at it is like, you know, just because you had one bad apple doesn't mean the whole batch is bad. So, you right. know, I, I would continue to, to keep searching and looking until you find a good clinician. Um, but in terms of uh, good clinicians, so I am also along with Zach, we're part of what's called clinical athlete. So if you visit clinicalathlete.com, this is, this, I don't get any, this is not a plug or anything. It's just, I think it's a great network. Uh, Quinn Hennick, he, he owns clinical athlete. Um, it's a great website for clinicians who understand training and movement and will prescribe it the properly. And they're not going to say, don't squat because your knees are going to blow up. They're going to say, okay, like, let's, let's look at the dosage. Let's uh, get you get some good rehab protocols. Let's get you some good training, get you back to your activity, your performance, and your, and your fitness and your health. And so um, for anyone out there looking for good clinicians around the world now, it's global now, um, you can find, there's a directory on there, and they label all the clinicians that are, that, are, that are of the same belief and of the same philosophies that movement is good when dosed yeah. appropriately and properly and get you back to strength training. So yeah. I would check that out if you're looking for someone. You said you're in the, in the Ohio area. Yep. Yep. Cincinnati. Area, so yeah. I would check that out. Um, and for any trainer or coach <laughs> listening, definitely check out clinical athlete or just, I mean, feel free to re reach out to me if you'd like to, I can direct you if you'd like, but there cool. are plenty of good clinicians as well as coaches out there doing the right stuff. So I think just latch right. on to one of those guys or, or gals if you can, and just kind of keep riding that riding that path because that's going to ultimately provide the best result for the per the consumer in front of you, right? Like that's what we're all definitely. after. We, you yep. know, there are plenty of people around that we can train and rehab. It's just a matter of understanding. Hey, look, a team approach, power in numbers, team approach is much more powerful than that, that universal kind of that individual approach. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'll link that to the show notes too. I'm going to check that out too. That's Go for it. Yeah. Awesome. So another thing, um, what, what was it the fact that we're going back to the hip hinge 101 yep. was, was it the fact that you saw so many uh, injuries or is it the fact that you, you knew there was a benefit to just learning that movement in terms of overall health and wellness? Cause you, you, you had mentioned, um, how, you know, like us, as, we as professionals in, in the fitness industry can uh, prescribe medicine. And of course, you're talking about like exercise as medicine, yeah. right? Yep. And so yep. th this, this movement philosophy and knowing how important and how, how much, I kind of want to stand up like 
how much we, we hip hinge, like doing That's those true. kind of movements from like a day-to-day basis. Yep. Did you see that because you're dealing with so many people who are in those kind of compromising positions and just making it worse when they come in and exercise? Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, I, 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 both of those items, both of those, plus the fact that, you know, I wanted to bang my head off the wall and ble- until I bled because you're so frustrated as a coach, as a clinician, as, a, as, a, as, as someone who's trying to help someone move better, feel better, perform mm-hmm. better. And so what you see is like, we do not get taught these basic systematic approaches to, okay, here's, let's first look at someone's low back. Let's just look at an assessment standpoint, a screen, if you will, look Mm -hmm. at the hip range of motion, how their back moves, how their hips and spine work together in concert. What's going on? Is there something, is there a movement pattern that bothers them? Are they extension based, flexion based, whatever, figure those out first, right? That information Mm -hmm. up first. And anyone can do that. Any trainer, coach, clinician, anyone can do that. You're just looking at range of motion. That's all we're looking at. And we're just trying to, we're not, we're not providing overpressure or any sort of manual muscle test. It's like, all right, do this movement. How do you feel? Yep. Simple as that, right. right? Check out what's under the, the hood of the car first before you provide a solution to what may be the issue or the problem to, to hopefully alleviate it. After that, you say, okay, great. This person's clear. Let's do some, some movement based on whether it's a toe touch, a hip hinge, show me what you got. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, let's just try to see what happens when you pick up a, an elevated Three, three to four stacked 25-pound plates or, I guess, six to eight inches off the ground, an elevated kettlebell deadlift. Very simple. Yeah. It's probably going to look a bit, quote-unquote, squatty in nature because it's kind of like a trap yeah. bar, no problem, yep. same height. Go for it. What happens? See what happens, okay? If they do that properly, they say, okay, great. Like, what's the next step? What are their goals? If I just want to – if I'm just here for life, I'm, I'm a lifestyle athlete, meaning I'm just trying to be strong, look yeah. good, feel good, perform well, be pain-free, Right. Maybe a trap bar of the next day, uh, position, maybe a barbell rack pull, maybe a pull through, maybe a one leg RDL, right? You can you have some fun with it. If a conventional, if a barbell conventional or a barbell sumo deadlift is not a primary goal of the lifestyle athlete, meaning just a general population client, and they're not going to be a power lifter, they're not going to you know, compete, then you have to weigh the risk award. I'm not, by no means, nothing Definitely. is an absolute. I never say no or yes. I say, okay, what are your goals? And where are you at right now physically and what are your abilities and your skills level at right now? Right. Because movement, all exercise are skills, right? So like, okay, have they mastered the basics yet? Okay. If they right. have, you keep progressing them. And if, if conventional slash sumo bar- barbell deadlift is not a goal of theirs, and they're not going to po- be powerlifting, then, then I, I have to weigh the risk award. What's the ratio yeah. look like, right? Yeah. Now, granted, if it's a jump off client and, and they move pristinely and everything is clean, it looks beautiful, awesome technique, it's crispy then maybe, and, and they want to, then maybe we progress there gradually. Yeah. You know, you do some rack pulls, you do some block pulls, you go from the ground and see how they respond. If it's a power lifter, obviously we have to pull from the ground and so on and so forth. So, but trap bar might be the end stage. Kettlebell swing might be the end stage. Right. So we have to kind of respect the fact that a deadlift or a hip hinge, it's what the individual makes it, what their goals are, what's their background, the injury history, what are they able to do? What are they, what's their movement index allow? Stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, um, you know, by going through all of that, I think teaching the professionals in the field, whether they're trainers, coaches, clinicians, I think it, it has allowed them to see that I think we've had about, so we've had about 12, we've got, we got four coming up. I mean, we've averaged about 20, 20 people, 20 attendees per workshop. So you figure, I don't know, at least two to 300, I have the number somewhere in my notes, two to 300 people we, we, we've taught or educated the, 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 the workshop to. So we're teaching them the fact that Here's a systematic approach, but there's also flexibility within the system. So just go off to the hip hinge progression that, that you deem necessary per 
the client, the athlete, the human in front of you and where they're yeah. at from a skill and ability, ability standpoint. Yeah, because I mean, it, it could be as simple as, uh, like you said, just learning the movement in general improves them, their, their life. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, if that, if that just gets them uh, feeling better in general, yeah, the end goal isn't necessarily to have them, uh, you know, deadlift, you know, 305 pounds. Like that's yeah. not the end goal. The end goal is to make sure they're moving properly. How much time do you spend with that? Uh, looking at like thoracic spine mobility or anything, just off the top of my head, I kind of, in the I'm workshop really big in, or yeah, like in yeah, assessments? Yeah. No, just like in the workshop, like leading up to like progression. Wise. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So one of the big things, so for the thoracic region in general, the upper back region in general, we yeah. look at lats. So the lat stiffness. And so when we talk about the bracing, so the core, I guess the core section, right? The core, the six pack, whatever, right? The trunk right. stability section, the, the, the breathing, the bracing, the spinal stiffness strategies. And so if we think it, with respect to the deadlift, the, the barbell is, is I've not checked the periodic, the element table, the, period, the element table or whatnot, what it's made of, but I'm sure it's made of some solid, solid structures. Okay. So we know for sure it's on there. It's pretty sturdy. We need to be get, as a human, we need to get as stiff as humanly possible to combat that. So we need to create trunk stiffness. What we're not saying is lumbar, like, you know, lumbar flexion or extension is bad or wrong. No. We're just talking with respect to the deadlift. So we need to get stiff. So if that's the case, think of stuff like planks, dead bugs, pallet press, chops, pharma carries, learning how to breathe, how to brace, right? People, not many people know how to, uh, how to breathe behind the brace or just right. how to differentiate. So we teach the, those manual cues. Then we talk about lat stiffness. And so when you look at the anatomy of the lats, and by no means am I anatomy geek, I know a little bit, not a lot of it. And I know that's not a word, but we're going to keep rolling here. So the lats correct. start at the low back and they come around under the armpits and attach a, a nice little muscle over there. I'm not going to get into anatomy. All I know is that's one of the longest spanning muscles in the body. It's probably yeah. important if it attaches to the low back, if we're talking about a deadlift, so we want to get stiff there. So we don't necessarily look at low back, um, thoracic rotation or mobility, not to okay. say it's not important, but what right. we're trying to do is create stiffness there and get nice and a nice stable supported structure, the spine. So, that's kind of the lens that we look through as well. But, you know, if someone's having a problem with staying tall throughout their delta, like, like let's say they hunch forward a lot, right. you got to look at that a couple of ways. I, I looked at some of the Dr. Stuart McGill's uh, spine mm. research, and, you know, we all know Stu McGill, phenomenal yep. mustache. Um, <laughs> you know, he did, a, he did some research on some, some uh, what are they called, uh, strong men and strong women. And some of the, something like the Atlas stone, like picking it up and putting it on a table. So the Atlas stone is, I don't know how heavy it is. I don't do strongman, but it's pretty damn heavy. It's a yeah, big it's giant ball. You pick it up. You kind of have to hug the, el the yeah. element and pick it up. So you have to over flex, flex really hard to pick it up, pick it up, use your hips to hike it up, extend, and then put it over on top of the table. Yep. What he found is that a little bit extra spinal flexion is not the worst thing in the world if you're keeping the object, whether the bar or the atlas stone, as close to your body as possible, center of mass, mm -hmm. that whole kind of physics conversation, which, you know, longer levers and shorter levers and whatnot. So, so we found that a little bit extra flexion is not the end of the world. Um, but when it comes to, let's say, Olympic weightlifting, stuff like that, when you're going sure. overhead, it's probably more beneficial to have more thoracic extension, which, thoracic extension, which obviously – uh, affects how much shoulder range of motion and flexion you'll have as well. So um, that's kind of the, the section where we touch on the thoracic midspine. Yeah. And that's, and I, the reason why I mentioned that now is because it's so hot, you know, like you're seeing oh, yeah, a lot of professionals talk, talk about that. And it's so, so important, especially when you see people, 
who are sitting at their desk, you know, we're talking about like the everyday athlete, you're sitting at the desk and they're hunched over all day long. And then you come in and you want them to be like this for, you know, 30 minutes of their day when eight hours out of the day, they're like this, yeah. you know, it just, so, so that, that got that contrast, but, um, no, I mean, it's, cool, a, it's a good, it's a good, it, it's a good conversation. Like I look at it like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this whole argument on posture and, you know, some people say the next, the best posture, posture is your next posture. And some people say it doesn't matter. And here's my thought. Yeah. Like, every, like anything in life, it's relative. I think it's yes. important to be cognizant and conscious of the positions you yeah. spend the most time in. For example, we, as you can see behind me, there, there's bikes hung up on a wall. I'm in one of the back rooms. We, we work with a lot of endurance-based athletes, cyclists, triathletes, marathon runners. And we find with a lot of the cyclists, we know what they're doing. They're hunched over for an hour, two hours at a time on their bike. Exactly. So what we find is with those type of clients, you get a lot of hip, low back, low back issues, right? So it's directly related to the hip hinge stuff. And so we find is what we've been finding rather is giving them positions. So I look at exercise like positions, like, you know, you'd see a plank, you see a flat, flat, you know, a neutral quote unquote spine, you see a deadlift, you see a neutral spine that goes into hip flexion, yada, yada, yada. So when we look at their position, they spend the most time and the most, the most mm -hmm. volume in, right? Then you have to back up and say, okay, from an exercise standpoint and from a dosage standpoint, what does it make sense to, pro to provide, to prescribe to them that's not yes. going to piss them off and make them feel yep. good? So we try to be conscious of the position they spend the most time in. But from a posture standpoint, there is no such thing as, as quote unquote neutral spine. It's a range, right? There's no such thing as perfect posture. It's a range. So I, right. we right. look at it like if you're sitting down all day and, you, and your low back's flex and you're kind of hunched forward, probably not the worst idea to get some extension in your life. We're not saying, I don't know what the ratios are. I've not, I've not done the research on it. I'm not going to. Yeah. It's, not, it's not, my, not my area of expertise. People way smarter than me have done that and will do that. But just kind of undo some of the stuff that you do. It's, it's kind of that simple. And I think yeah. getting clients to understand that from a simplistic approach kind of helps them think, okay, you know what? That, that kind of makes sense. So that's kind of yeah. my thought on the whole posture stuff. Yeah, the posture, it's, it's interesting to me because you like, like you, like you mentioned, you get people who say, this is the best three exercises. Yeah. And then, you know, and that gets drilled into the ground. And you're like, might be the best three exercises for a handful of people that that one individual works with. Exactly. Right. But I mean, depending on where the people that I, that I meet or you meet, you got to meet the client where they are, the person where they are. So if, if that, if that improves their day, but if, what if they're doing that already, what if they're in those positions already? You know, I mean, how, how much time do you want to spend on, on things that they're already um, excellent at or yeah. good at or, or I should say like good enough at, like yeah. there, is such a, there is such a thing. And, and that's the thing too. Like our, 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 ultimately our job is to put them in the best position possible to succeed and build yeah. positive lifestyle habits. I mean, that's what go. we're doing. We're, we're just trying to positively change their behavior in, in the right direction so that they can be strong as you know, what can be yeah. healthy can live a long life. Like that's, I think if, if we kind of remove ourselves from like the bigger, faster, stronger, like I think everyone yes. thinks that it's like, yeah, that's a part of it. But it, 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 if the client can't do that without pain, then what's the point? Like yeah. let, making them like, there's a, there's a famous clinician. He's a Cairo PT. He studied under Stu McGill for years. His name escapes me right now. If Zach was here, he'd know. Um, it's not Lorimer Mosley. It, it's an associated name that I can't think of. But anyways, um, his famous line is calm shit down, build shit up. And I'm like, yo, that makes like that. so much sense like that. from a training and rehab from a movement standpoint, right? Like make sure they're feeling good and moving good first yep. and then have them move often and then load. And cause like, like any recipe, right? You can always add more water later on. 
if you add too much water up front, it's going to be hard to take that out. Yeah. The, the idea of, and I kind of take this a little bit from you at the very beginning before we even started recording was if you look through, through the lenses of the client's eyes first and, and stop like pulling back and say, here's what I'm going to teach that person. But no, like that person's coming in for certain reasons, knowing those reasons and just saying to yourself, like, I have to come up with the best way to, to implement what they're searching for. And, and that's the thing too. Coming like, in you know, the back door. hundred percent. That's the thing too. Like when we do our, our, our initial assessment, we have a very thorough intake process and, and, and what we're trying to do is not only are we taking objective questions and we're doing a range of motion, all that stuff. Like we're, we're trying to gauge how is this person speaking to me? Where are yeah. they at right now right. from a mental yep. standpoint? Do they seem like they're kind of apprehensive are they, or are they really energetic and, 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 and emphasizing like, I want to start, let's go. Like I think kind of understanding who they are and mm -hmm. building in some of their goals. Like what I mean by that is look, you know, clients, some clients want to do bicep curls. Some clients want to look good. Yeah. God forbid right. it's the summertime. Right. And so I think, yeah. you know, we know what's, what they need. Right. And then they mm -hmm. have, we have what they want. Some of those wants can be in the need category. It's okay. 100%. So I think, I think we need to be okay with, you know, it has to be scientifically. No, like let's relax a bit. Like as long yeah. as you're doing no harm, rule number one, do no harm. If you're doing no harm, putting them in a good position to succeed, then more often than not, most things are going to be fair game. So yeah. I think if we can kind of meet them where they're at, 100%. it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Like take a step back for it. Like the, whoever, whoever, I want to know the name of that person who had the quote, because that's a hundred percent true. Like take a step back and don't take yourself so serious yep. as, I mean this, oh man, it's kind of a slippery slope. Like don't this take yourself so This might be a part, so one, serious. part one of two, uh, two podcast episodes. I'm going to put that yeah. out there. Yeah. I mean, don't take yourself <laughs> too, too seriously as, as a profession professional, because they're coming to you and you are the professional that's established. Yeah. If the person comes up to you and says, I'd like to have, you know, better looking arms. Well, we, okay. As a professional, you know what that takes. Yeah. Maybe if they're in bodybuilding, but to give them like a pump at the very end of a workout, you think Not that's going to destroy world. them? Fucking let them have it. Yeah. Right. Do some yeah. extra dips. Do some extra tricep extensions. Whatever. And I think I think that can I think that whole component of, you know, like you're saying, like give them some of that, like build that mental yeah. force with that mental toughness. Like some clients, look, it is what it is. These yeah. clients, quote unquote, want to get crushed, and I'm putting air quotes up right now. They want to sweat, right? Is that, does that have merit? Well, we know that you don't have to get crushed. You don't have to sweat a ton to have a good workout and have a set. Right. However, sometimes to a certain degree, a little bit of that is okay. Now, what yeah. I mean by that is, you know, density workouts are okay. A little bit of hypertrophy, it's okay. Give them that whole, you know, that, that kind of, that mental toughness, that fortitude. Let's see if they can build, let's see if they can meet the challenge in a safe and effective uh, setting, then it's okay. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah. you know, you're spot on. We have to just kind of meet them where they're at and let them in a safe training environment, let them kind of explore some of the movements and be okay with sometimes, you know, yeah. look, they're going to make mistakes, right? I think sometimes we get, we, we overcoach the biomechanics. Like, Hey, look, like if it's a 10 pound dumbbell and I'm doing split squats, right? It's week one or week two of my program. I'm, br I'm a brand new client and I'm slightly off a little bit to the side. No one's going to die. Their knees aren't going to explode. Right. So like take a deep breath, let them finish the sentence. Say, Hey client, you yep. did it this way. How did you feel? Okay, great. Try it. Here's this what way. I Try to make the small little, little, little adjustment. Yeah. What do you feel with that? And kind of gauging versus just kind of, you know, just verbalizing the cues you learned in order and you kind of memorize. So that's kind of, yeah. uh, that's kind of my spiel and I can go all day. So maybe this is part one of two, but 
that's kind of yeah, my no, thought on it. And uh, definitely, this is like a whole other section. Yeah, that I could just yeah. Talk days like the, just the the coaching aspect because what if going back to and I'll make this the last point. Of yeah, it, yeah, yeah. But what if, what if like the what if the one thing you mentioned buy in, which I'm a really big believer in, because like communication plus your program creates the buy in. I believe more communication than anything in that personal relationship. Yep. But what if it's that one thing that like bicep curl, that one extra bicep curl, that set of bicep curls that could have created that, that buy-in and you just wouldn't let them have it because you're in charge. Yeah. What? Is that worth like, man, sometimes you you lose people. Yeah. But like as professionals, like just that, that idea of like, Hey man, let them have it. Like let them have it. Even if you have to go into like the next uh, workout, Hey, I've got to go into my next appointment, grab those 20 pound dumbbells over there, knock out another set, you know, and and I'll I'll, I'll end it on this because this is a great example we have, so we had a client recently who had a very similar um, request, and and my thought was, well, I know sometimes his client has a tendency to kind of go fast with her repetitions and her sets and whatever exercise she's doing. So I'm like, okay, yeah. from from a training standpoint, you know that if you can dose something appropriately and add in the right prescription or tempo, that you can kind of make them happy, but also make yourself happy. So great, we gave this client dumbbell hammer curls with a three second ISO at the top. Can't cheat that. You have to pause at the top. You win, they win, we all win. That that that's what training is. Yeah, yeah. Finding the even ground. High five. Exactly. <laughs> you got it, brother. So hey, pl- pl- pleasure being on, man. I, I uh, absolutely, truly appreciate if, your time. I, I appreciate yours. And if anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, where are the best ways to find you? Oh, hit me up on IG, social media. Um, I mean, Facebook. You know, my name Matthew Ibrahim, but Twitter and Instagram. Um, it's, it's my first name, Matthew, my last name, Ibrahim. And then there's an underscore because evidently someone else has my name, <laughs> but, uh, I'm pretty active on IG Twitter. I mean, look, you know, awesome. uh, I, I enjoy giving back and educating and learning as well. So if you want to reach out, you know, interact by all means, please do. Um, it, cool. it, 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 it's a way for me to have fun and, and, and uh, interact. So I love it. So keep it rolling. Awesome, you know? brother. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Matthew, and I hope people do reach out and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor. <laughs>